You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Good to see you here tonight, um, and I'm thankful for a good, good crowd here on this, uh, this Wednesday evening. I know there's a lot of other things happening in other places, in Patch and Pee Wee, and then in the youth group, and uh, whatever else is going on. So I'm thankful, though, that we have a good group in here. And uh, we'll be in Romans chapter 12 tonight, Romans chapter 12. We're going to jump right in and, uh, and get started here, Romans chapter 12. And uh, these are two very familiar verses. I know that you've You've heard them preached or taught uh, on before, uh, and, uh, and we'll be going through Romans 12, 1 and 2, which I know, again, you've heard before, um, but I just, sometimes it's good to be reminded of some of these truths you've heard your whole life. And, uh, and so, while, when you get there, I, I'd like to go ahead and stand tonight as we read the Scripture together. Uh, one more time, we'll stand, and then, and then we'll read and pray Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Probably verses many in here could quote tonight, uh, but just want to remind you of some truths out of this uh, for a few moments tonight that I think could be a help and a reminder uh, for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to preach, and I pray that you would uh, give me freedom, give me liberty as I deliver the word, and I pray that you'd help us to listen and to learn uh, what you would have from this text for us. We're thankful. I'm thankful for the faithfulness of your people, and it's encouraging to look out and see many who could have made other choices on what they did tonight, and yet they're here. And I pray that you would help us in our time together. You'd be lifted up and honored by what takes place. Bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. You can be seated. I, I, my dad, when I was a kid, my dad used to tell this story, and this is probably uh, an anecdote that you've heard before as well, but... Um, he used to tell this story about a young, wi- a young wife and mother who, for the first time, was going to be hosting Thanksgiving herself. And for you, you young mothers and wives, you probably remember the first time after all the years that you had grown up watching your, maybe your mother and your family host Thanksgiving, and then for the first time, you get to have it in your own home. And so this young mother was getting everything ready, everyone was going to come to her house, She was getting the food ready, she was getting um, the turkey and the the stuffing and the mashed potatoes and the gravy, and if you haven't eaten, I'm sorry, I know Brother Spencer is the food pastor, as far as I understand, so I thought I would carry carry the tradition here tonight and talk about food a little bit. Um, But she was getting it all ready, and um, she took the bird, and she tried to remember all that her mom did while she was growing up, so she took the bird, and she put the bird in the sink. And while her husband was watching her, she took the dish rack, the drying rack, and put it on top of the turkey in the sink. 
So her husband's like, uh, well, what are you doing that for? And she said, well, my mom always does it, so it must help, it must help the turkey to thaw. So her husband's like, okay, you know, you don't argue with a woman in her own kitchen. That uh, should be a, one of those life lessons that you remind yourself of. So uh, her mom called her later that evening, and, you know, she was telling, asking her how things were going, and the, the young woman said, well, yeah, I've got everything ready. I've got all the food ready. I've got the bird in the sink. I've got the dish rack, the drying rack, on top of the, of the bird, so we should be good to go. And her mom says, what? Why do you have the dish rack on top of the turkey? And she said, well, that's something that you always did while I was growing up, and so I just thought that's what you're supposed to do with the turkey the night before you wake up and cook it. And she said, well, we had cats. So the young wife and mother didn't understand the why for the what. And you've probably been there before where you've done something that you've seen somebody else do or you've heard how it's done and, and so you do it and then only to find out later that there was really no reason to do it because you didn't understand the why. And I think about my daughter Lacey. My daughter Lacey's nine years old and, and she really, it's really fun when they're at the age where they want to do everything that mom or dad does. And I remember once Lacey started coming into services with us, um, I had this habit when I would, uh, when the preaching would begin, um, very often I would chew a piece of gum during the preaching. Um, and I don't know why, maybe it helped me stay alert, I'm not sure. I just know it's a habit I can, I'm not going to be able to continue very much longer. So um, I would chew a piece of gum and I would take that gum wrapper and I would put it into my Bible, at the bottom of my Bible, just within the pages, and the reason that I did that, you, I would put it under here, it's sticking out just a little bit like a ribbon, because I'm, I'm the music director at our church, and if I'm chewing gum and the pastor says, all right, let's all stand together and we'll begin the invitation, I have to really be instant in season and out of season. And, I, and I, it, the worst thing you can do as a singer is to go up and try to sing while you're chewing gum. So I would have it there so that I could see it and grab it really quickly and stick my gum in the wrapper and put it in my suit pocket and then go up and sing the invitation song. So I had a good reason for it. Well, after a couple of years, my daughter Lacey, having been in the service, they would begin sitting in the services with us on Sunday and Wednesday nights when they were three years old. And so she would, you know, we, had, we spent all this time training her and helping her to sit in the service. And I looked one day and I noticed at the bottom of her Bible, she had really probably about a dozen gum wrappers sticking out the bottom of her Bible. And she had seen Dad do that for all those months that, that she'd been sitting in church. And she thought, well, that's what you do with your gum wrappers. You stick it in the bottom of your Bible so that it's easy to grab. You know, she didn't know that. She was just doing it because Dad was doing it. And and it's fun. That's, that's a funny little story, and it's cute when they're little. And, and there are certain things like, you know, putting the rack over the bird before Thanksgiving. That's pretty harmless. It's not a big deal. But we have a tendency to do the what sometimes without understanding the why in things that are a little bit more important, though. See, if, if, we, can, if we get involved in the what and in, in not understanding the why when it comes to our service to the Lord we're in trouble. Because this isn't just a what religion, this is a why religion. We have a relationship with God. It's important for us to understand not just what to do, but why we do it. In the book of Romans 12, 1 and 2, 
um, gives us some insight into that very thought. And I just want to start by saying Romans is really an incredible book. And I'm not going to get into all of it tonight. I couldn't. I, I don't, I'm not capable of exhaustively explaining it, and I don't have time either. But Paul wrote the book of Romans, and the theme is salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, salvation it comes through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I'm assuming that everyone in this room tonight is saved, but I just want to remind you that salvation comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's the big idea that Paul is dealing with, and he highlights some, something basic and observable. As he goes through and writes this discourse on salvation, um, he then starts to talk about men being sinners. And we all understand, most of us in this room tonight, understand that everyone that's ever been born is a sinner, and that's a big problem. And it maybe even seems like a bigger problem when you realize that God demands a sacrifice for sin. And if we in our sin can do nothing about it, then we're in big trouble except that God in His love sent His Son Jesus Christ to provide that sacrifice for our sin. And again, I don't have to spend lots of time explaining that tonight. We understand it. But Romans 3 calls God both the just and the justifier. The one we had sinned against provided the payment for our sin. That's a pretty incredible thought. The first 11 chapters of Romans are full of doctrines like these. It talks about sin, and it talks about wrath, and it talks about condemnation, and it talks about love and grace and righteousness and justification by faith. And then by the end of Romans 11, Paul comes down to this passage that's just incredible. Look at verse 33 of Romans 11. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! Exclamation point. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, exclamation point. He's excited. 34, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. There's some passages in the Bible you need to memorize. To me, that's one that we ought to memorize. It's a great passage on who God is and what God has done. God isn't just some, God's not just a maybe a little bit better version of us. And I think the world sometimes puts him in that box and they imagine that God maybe is just a little different than us, a little better than us. No, he's so high above us that he's unsearchable to us. His ways are beyond our comprehension. His mind and knowledge are untouchable. He's the source of everything. And verse 36 says, He created all, He sustains all, and all things point to His glory. He is an amazing God. And I couldn't do credit or justice to it tonight, but we could stop here and just be thankful that a God so high would go to such lengths for sinners so low. We should be thankful tonight. He's not just a great God, he's a good God. And here, it is here that Paul makes this transition. So I'm, I'm giving you this background to help you see how we make the transition into Romans chapter 12. He goes from the first 11 chapters of Romans 11 being very doctrinal to Romans 12 then becomes very practical. And what he says is, this transition is, considering all that I've just written about in the first 11 chapters, Here's your responsibility. And he starts with, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. 
And the word therefore means what Paul is about to say is all connected to what he's just been talking about in the first 11 chapters. He says, I beseech you therefore, beseech means to beg or implore. So Paul is saying this, I beg you, I implore you, based on all the things I've just explained, to respond in an appropriate way to this kind of God. A God as high as Him. A God as unsearchable as our God. A God who's that high and yet has done that much for sinners this low. I want you to respond appropriately. That's what he's saying. And he says, he uses the, words, the word mercies. So it sums up Romans 1.11 with mercies. And we could read it, verse, uh, verse, 31, or verse 30 of Romans 11. He talks about we've obtained mercy. Verse 31, he says that through your mercy. Verse 32, uh, verse 33, he talks about, uh, let's see, where is it at? Verse 30, well, anyway, there's, there's mercy in there somewhere. I know it. I don't have time to look at it. But he talks about mercies, basically. And then he says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies. All these mercies that, God's been, that he's been talking about, what he's saying is God is so high and he's so lofty and he's so unsearchable, and yet he's stooped to show mercy to people like you and I that he just spent 11 chapters talking about. And mercies is a fitting word because we're condemned sinners and God is holy and we are not. We absolutely require God's mercy to have any hope of a relationship with him. God demanded a sacrifice, but he paid it by sending Jesus. God is holy and sinless, yet Romans is about how much he loves us, how much he shows us grace, how he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us. He provides peace, and he provides faith and comfort and hope and patience and kindness. And all of these things, are that sums up Romans 1 through 11. He provides us with His righteousness. He reconciles us to Himself. He gives us eternal life. He provides us with freedom. He adopts us. And we could go on and on. I hope you're getting the picture. We could go on and on about God's mercies. They're everlasting. They're never-ending. And it's all about the, the, all the things that God has done for us. Paul really sums it up well. And then with just a few words, he transitions to our having the proper response to God's mercies. And I hope it makes Romans 12, 1 and 2 make a little bit more sense when you think about it this way. Paul is saying, considering all the mercies that God has shown to sinners like us, here's the only way we could properly respond, appropriately respond to God. And stop, I just want to stop here and point out that the Christian life is always lived in an outflow. It's always lived inside out. Our service to God grows out of something that is internal. In other words, this is never meant to be an external religion. God wants to do a work in us, and then as He does work in us, then we serve Him out of that outflow. And most religions teach that what you do is most important. But the Christian experience is unique. In that to God, the most important thing is why you do what you do. See, He's concerned with our motives. He, he doesn't want us to put the rack over the turkey for no reason. And because He's most interested in our motives, He's most interested in a relationship, He's not interested in empty form. If motives don't matter, Paul could have skipped Romans 11 through 1, or 1 through 11. Paul could have simply said, 
okay, here's what you're supposed to do if you're a Christian. Give your life to God. Do what you need to do so you can please God. No, but he spends 11 chapters explaining, no, here's why you need to do what you should do. So knowing who God is and what he's done is the reason we do what we do. And sometimes it's just good for us to remember that, isn't it? Because I don't know if you're anything like me, but for myself, I can very easily get into the habit of just going through the motions. It's very easy at times to just, well, I've got this checklist, I've got these things I've got to do, and I forget the why of why I'm doing it. God's mercies, his many gifts to us that we don't deserve, are the driving force for us to do what he talks about in chapter 12. And tonight, I just want to walk through these these thoughts and understand the process that takes place when we remember God's mercies. And I want to start just by saying this. Number one, God's mercies bring us to surrender. God's mercies bring us to surrender. According to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies. Now, present is a temple term, and when they would bring an offering to the temple, they would, they would surrender or yield that offering, and present is not passive. It's a choice that we make. God doesn't force anyone to present. He doesn't force anyone to surrender. We choose whether or not we present, and he says, I, I, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies And that word bodies, it's not just talking about a flesh, it's talking about everything we are. By using the term body, it means that there's nothing kept for yourself. It's 100% everything that you are, you give it to God. And then he says living sacrifice. Now in the Old Testament, the sacrifices weren't living sacrifices. The Old Testament sacrifices were killed on the altar. There was death. It was a picture of sin's consequences, according to Romans 6.23. And as a living sacrifice, we are to die ourselves in every way. That's what it means to surrender. We don't literally die, but we die to everything that we know, everything that we desire. We are to say no to everything that is us and yes to everything that is God. And a lot of Christians struggle with this. And it's only because, though, they don't have good for the right perspective. See, they think, surrender everything I have to God? Isn't that a little bit extreme? Well, maybe it sounds like that on the surface. Now, I was speaking with someone just this week, and, and in their mind, they had a tough time saying yes to God in salvation because it meant that they were going to have to give control to somebody else beside themselves. And I can see that being a struggle for someone, especially someone who's lived their whole life, or maybe as an adult, they're coming to terms with salvation. To give control to somebody else, no, I'm my own man, I'm my own person. I don't want to give control to somebody else. Well, it's a struggle. It's not as easy as it sounds to just let God have His way in your life. But it's not extreme when you consider the fact that God sent Jesus Christ, His Son, to die on a cross for your sins. You want to talk about extreme, that's extreme. So our response to that is less than what God has already given for us in sending His Son to die for us. I mean, God has the right to ask for everything. I mean, not only does God require everything, but our surrender must be holy and acceptable. See, God only accepts a certain kind of sacrifice. If you've ever read the Old Testament and you read Leviticus and you see just how how specific God was in His sacrifices and the Old Testament and all the offerings and how they had to follow it down to the letter. 
See, God accepts a sacrifice from His people, but only a certain kind. He wants a holy, acceptable sacrifice. And again, we might say, well, this is just too much. We're to surrender everything, and it has to be on His terms. Yeah, but don't get upset because Paul says it's reasonable service. Reasonable. And if you look up the word, the Greek word, it's from the, the word from which we get our word logical. So, and this is important, when you think, think about a God that great being that good to you and I, giving those kind of mercies to you and I, it's reasonable to give Him everything and to do it His way. See, I'm not saying it's easy. I am saying, though, it's reasonable. Because it's not easy, is it? Sometimes it's difficult to surrender. There are things we hold on to that hinder our walk with God or our service to the Lord. And a lot of times people like us in a room like this would say, why are you preaching a surrender message? Surrender messages are for youth camp and for teen rallies and all those things. And yes, I understand, but we adults have, our, have a tough time surrendering stuff too, don't we? We have our own vices. And I don't mean our, just our sin. I mean... As an adult, I still have to surrender my plans to God. I still have to surrender my desires to God. That's not something that I was sanctified out of as a teenager. I mean, can I be honest with you? Right now, my family and I have come to the point where we are surrendering our plans to God. We've had to come to terms with the fact that God gave His everything to die on a cross for my sins, and it's the least that I can do to follow Him to a place like South Dakota. And I'm not saying it's been an easy process. I'm just saying anything God has ever asked me to do has been reasonable. Because I think about what Jesus Christ did on the cross for my sins. And that gives me the ability to look at my children and say, I have confidence that we can surrender our plans and our dreams and our desires to, it, to God because look what He did for us. There's nothing outside of His right to ask us. And I'm, and I'm sorry to get emotional about it. I'm just saying that it's still something we have to come to terms with as adults. Surrender. And it's reasonable. And I have to be told that because it, that it's not easy. And if I let my emotions decide what's right for me and my family, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't surrender something like this. Not when you're comfortable and things are going well and, and it's all you've known for a long time. But when you stop and think about the fact that it's reasonable, when you start to think of it on a level of logic... There is nothing beyond or outside of his right to ask me. Whatever he wants, he can have it. Now, I'm thankful that, that Paul appeals to logic because if he appealed to my emotions, I would never do it. And if he appealed to what, may, you know, what I prefer, my preferences, I would never do it. But when he appeals to logic, when he says it's reasonable, when you think about what God's done for you, it is reasonable for you to give everything to Him because of what He's done for you. So he appeals, he appeals to reason, and He approaches the mind. He doesn't approach the emotions. He approaches the mind and says, stop and think. And when you think, you start to see it's reasonable.
So God's mercies bring us to surrender. It's reasonable. And then we're going to move to verse 2. And he says in verse 2, And be not conformed to this world. Now, let, so be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed is a strong command. Be not conformed, mean, conform means to stamp. Conform means uh, a pattern. It means a mold. And what he's saying is don't be conformed like the world. Don't, be, don't let the world's stamp, don't let the world's mold be found on you. In this wor- the world in, the, in this age in which we live is a fallen, unredeemed, sinful system of Satan. And if you're going to present your body as a living sacrifice to God, you have to be sure that your mind and your behavior don't have any appearance or any stamp or any mold of the world on it. That's not a sacrifice that God will accept. Unfortunately, though, being conformed to the world is our default position. That's we're born conformed like the system of Satan. We're born sinners, and we live in a culture that's constantly bombarding us with its mindsets. This is what we naturally are. And so when he says, be not conformed, he's not saying, oh, just don't drift that direction. Um, He's saying, you're already in that direction. You have to stay away from what is natural to you and that mold, that stamp that is already on you. You've got to stay out of that. You know, our default position is to be like the world. And our culture tells us things in our mindset. The stamps are so things like, oh, yeah, human beings are basically good. No, that's, they're wrong about that. That's a cultural stamp, and they're trying to get us to think that way. They'll tell us things like, uh, there are many ways to God. Well, that's wrong. According to John 14, 6, that they're, they're trying to stamp on us their mindset, and it's not right. They'll tell us things, and they'll tell our children things like, Follow your heart. If you believe, you can do it. Well, we know that's wrong because we're limited and we're sinners. They'll tell us things like live like you want and you can be happy. No, it's wrong. That's the culture trying to stamp its mindset on us, and we're constantly bombarded with messages that are contrary to God's system. Did you know the average high school kid spends nine hours consuming media of some kind every day? The average high school teenager spends nine hours consuming media of some kind every single day. Six and a half hours of that media are spent in front of a screen. So media could be anything coming through the earbuds or anything coming through a screen. Nine hours a day. Now there's plenty of value, I think, in media. There's value in something you can you know, look at a screen for, but we have to understand our kids, our children are being bombarded with the spirit of the age. And the world's mindset is constantly attacking their thought processes. And it's not always just bad content or blatant content. It's the constant drilling of a mindset into their impressionable minds that is dangerous. It's not just that the content is wrong. It's that the philosophy is wrong. The worldview is wrong. And we have to be careful because most young people are not discerning enough to keep from being victimized by the spirit of the age. It takes a supernatural act, like we're talking about here in Romans 12, to replace the stamp with something else. And that's what verse 2 is talking about. The first point is God's mercies bring us to surrender. The second is that surrender brings us to a renewed mind. See, when we finally surrender ourselves to God, that's when He can finally begin to work on us. 
when we finally say yes to everything, then God is able to, to reach in and start doing His work. It's kind of like, and I'm not a mechanic, I know we have some in here, but it's like you can't really work on the car until you lift up the hood. And God wants to get in and He wants to change, work on us and fix us and make us more like Him. But if we never pull the latch on the inside, He doesn't have the opportunity. And the surrender that we go through is what gives Him the opportunity to finally begin renewing our mind. Do not, do not be conformed, but be transformed, he says. And the word is metamorphosis, and it's like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. How are you transformed? Well, by the renewing of your mind. And again, we see their mind is involved. Surrender brings us to the point that our minds can be renewed. It, it pops the hood so that God can begin His work. And once He has everything, once He has access to all of us, including our minds, He can start renewing us. And a mind can't be shaped until it's surrendered. So why is a renewed mind so important? Well, again, the mind is the battleground between the spirit of the age and our new nature as a child of God. The battleground for whether or not you'll be like Christ or you're going to be like the world is taking place in your mind because what you think is what you become. It's who you are. It's where your behavior stems from. If your mind is saturated, and the reason a lot of people in our churches are not like Christ is because for most of the week, their minds are being saturated with the spirit of the age. And for one, two, three, maybe four hours a week, they're sitting in here and they're getting divine truth, and that's great, but you can't combat the other hundreds of hours in the week. That culture is feeding their brains. And well, no wonder we have a tough time um, surrendering, and no wonder we have a tough time not being conformed to this world. You know, if your mind is saturated with the thought process of the world, you'll be conformed to that way of life. But if your mind is saturated with divine truth, you'll be transformed to be like Christ. Transformation takes place in a renewed mind that's been saturated with divine truth. Now, we live in a time of rapid change, don't we? I mean, it's amazing how things are changing. We were watching a documentary just this week about the first transcontinental trip that someone took in a car from San Francisco to New York City. I'm talking about 1903, no, not really roads, just gravel ruts all the way across the country, and somebody in one car, two guys in one car, and it took them, I think, 62 days to get across the country, just going up, up and down mountains and crossing streams, and you'd, you'd be shocked at how many times, well, maybe you wouldn't, how many times they broke down, how many days they just spent waiting for, for someone to bring them supplies and parts. I mean, it is a pretty fascinating story. But it was talking about in, in 1903, it was about 40 years before that, that the Transcontinental Railroad was completed. And everyone thought that's, a, that's an engineering marvel, and it is. Some of the stories you hear about them, you know, uh, blasting their way through the Sierra Nevadas and laying railroad track and, I mean, how much snow got dumped. It's amazing. I'm, the nerd in me is excited about all that. Well, 40 years before that, they were laying railroad track across the country and meeting up in Utah somewhere. 60 years after someone made their way across the country, there was a man walking on the moon. 
So we went from, in 1903, someone thinking it's a major feat to drive across the country in a car, to 1963, somebody walking on the moon, or whatever year it was, unless you believe in conspiracies, and then we may have to talk about this later. So, you know, we, we experienced change. Now, now we're about 60 years later from walking on the moon, aren't we? About 60 years. And if, if we were to show people what we're doing now with technology in 1963, they, their minds would just be blown away. And the advent of technology, uh, it used to be that cultural and moral shifting and change was like an ocean liner, you know, and it just takes forever to turn that thing. Well, now cultural and moral change is more like a jet ski. Have you ever been on a jet ski? You know how tight you can make those things turn? That's culture now. Honestly, that's, moral, that's morals in our country now. 20 years ago, not one country on our planet had legalized same-sex marriage. In 2001, I think it was Norway or one of those um, countries in, in northern Europe legalized same-sex marriage, and now you're nobody if you don't have same-sex marriage because that's the highest form of value is inclusion now. And morality now has shifted, not like an ocean liner, but it's like a jet ski. And it's just changing and changing and changing, and we can't even keep up with it. It's hard. It's always been hard not to be conformed, but I'm not sure it's ever been more difficult to, than it is right now because our way of thinking is being attacked on every side. It used to be that there could be some isolation, at least even in your own home in your community with your family, and now there's no isolation because the world's cultural uh, mindset is being just zapped into our brains by technology. And teenagers are carrying phones around in their pockets. And we wonder why we have a tough time helping them to see why they need to be like Jesus Christ and not like the world. And yet on their phones, unfiltered access to the worldview of our culture. So I say that as a warning, but I also say that's where we are. We've got to be careful. Parents, don't be careful of how much we're letting our children's minds being fed. I mean, there aren't many places to go where we can keep it protected. And that's why in a place like this, I'm going to do everything I can as a pastor of Eastside Baptist Church to let this be a reflection of a kingdom and not a reflection of our culture. Because there aren't many more places you can go that you walk in and say, this is different than the culture. So for us as Eastside Baptist Church, I'm very passionate about this being a reflection of our God and not like every other place you go that reflects our culture. We've got to be careful. Our children are being bombarded. We're being bombarded. Our homes and our churches shouldn't just be another voice promoting culture. So God's mercies bring us to surrender. I'm almost done. Surrender brings us to a renewed mind. And a renewed mind brings us to God's will. And basically, all I'm saying there is that your, a transformed life is how you fulfill your ultimate purpose in Christ. As you open the hood, as you surrender, and God works on you, and you finally are up and running like you're supposed to, in that you're reflecting your Savior. That's God's will. And a lot of times people say, well, I don't know, I don't know how to find God's will. Where is God's will? How? It's not some mystery. You don't have to find God's will. You just have to do God's will. 
You have to know what he says and say, this is what I'm supposed to do. I just do God's will. It's not as hard as it sounds, but maybe sometimes it feels hard. And we can't get over the hump, and, and we're trying, and we're working, and we're doing, and we don't seem to be making progress, and you surrender to God because you know you're supposed to, and you try your best to be conformed, not like the culture, but like the kingdom, like your Father, and you ask Him to renew your mind because you know that you're not thinking correctly, and you're reflecting your culture, so you beg Him to use your Word to transform you, and you find yourself the same as you were yesterday, as you were last week, or as you were last month, or as you were last year, and you're just kind of going through the motions. Serving seems like a burden. It's not much joy. And first let me say this, that that's a battle everybody faces. We all go through those seasons. You're not the only one. But second, maybe I say this, it might be time to go back to the beginning. See, it doesn't just start with surrender, it, it, although that's essential. It doesn't start with being conform, not being conformed, although that's a key. No, when I say go back to the beginning, I mean go back to the beginning of Romans 1 through 11 and go back to God's mercies. See, we're so inclined to make the Christian life about what that we often forget it's about the why. And when you're struggling to, to do what you're supposed to do and you're struggling to increase your faith and you're struggling to walk like you're supposed to and you're struggling to be, to be in Christ's image or you're struggling to have a renewed mind, it's not about making more effort in those areas. It is about going back to God's mercies and remembering what God has done for you. And it's not about the what, it's about the why. It is about the fact that God, a God that great, is that good to me. And when you lose sight and you're going through the motions, go back to God's mercies. See, without an awareness of God's mercies, you can't experience the joys of His change. Without an awareness of God's mercies, you can't experience the joys of His change. And this process starts with motive. If you're missing uh, that, you're missing the whole thing. You know, that's why the most important commandment from Christ wasn't when they came and asked him, say, what's the most important commandment? Christ didn't say, obey the Ten Commandments. No, what did he say? He said, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Because to Jesus Christ, it's not about the what. It's about the why. And if you will have the right motives that are based on God's mercy, our response to God's mercies should, our response should be love. The Christian life is fueled by the right motivations. And if we ignore the motive behind the process, we have officially settled for empty religion. And if you go back and read what Christ said to the Pharisees, they had empty religion. And it was not a good day for them when Jesus Christ would come and tell them what they needed to hear. And there will be times maybe when duty supersedes of delight... And in those times, you, you'll need to just do what you're supposed to do. But if it lasts too long, go back to the gospel. Remember what you were and what you deserved and what he did to change it. Read Romans 1 through 11. Consider the cross and all and how it changed your life. That's mercy. And folks, maybe we can get back from just going through the what and putting the rack on the turkey 
and the, and the gum wrappers in the bottom of our Bibles without understanding the why. Let's get away from the what and go back to the why. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. I've lifted the hood. I've surrendered. Be not conformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So God's mercies lead to surrender. Surrender leads to a renewed mind. And a renewed mind leads to what? It leads to being conformed to His image. And I'm thankful for the process, how simple it is. But we sometimes need to go back to the beginning. Let mercy be your motive. And don't just do the what, you need to remember the why. Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.